Happy Easter. It's good to be back together again. On Friday we reflected, if you remember, it's only two days ago, we reflected on the meaning of Jesus' death for us, uh, that it allows for our sins to be forgiven uh, by God without compromising God's justice against sin. And so uh, with our humble and penitent faith in Jesus Christ, we can be justified. Do you remember the word? Justified, the Bible says, declared righteous by God, even though we're not righteous, if truth be told, in and of ourselves. That's good news for broken sinners uh, who could never make themselves right with God. And that's why we called it Good Friday. Uh, but I also left, uh, left you with a question on, on Friday, if you recall, a question to consider around all of that. Is that Good Friday truth of the gospel enough for you on this whole matter of sin? That your sin can be forgiven? Uh, or is there something more uh, on this whole sin thing that you might dare to uh, hope for from God? Today, as we reflect together on Resurrection Sunday, I want to put it to you that God wants to give you something more and that he certainly will give you something more if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to give you a new heart that stops generating so much sin. A new heart that stops generating so much sin. God isn't just going to forgive our sins. He's going to transform us so that we stop generating sin. That's very hard for us to imagine. Well, for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, that's hard to imagine. But Resurrection Sunday actually points us to that great truth of the gospel, that we don't remain as dead sinners once we come to faith in Christ, but rather we are made alive in some new way. It's not enough for God, actually, that he should just pay for our sin. Because he also wants to give us new life. And I want us to think today about that new life that God grants us as, as, as about more than just the, the eternal life that we so often focus on. It, it is that, but it is so much more than that too. So maybe we can think then about life in a couple of ways today. Uh, we thought through some familiar territory about Jesus's resurrection uh, that sense of new life in John chapter 20 before, you know, the, the perplexed uh, disciples, the distraught women, the, the doubting Thomas and, and his epic confession when he finally saw the Lord Jesus risen in his glorious uh, body, my Lord and my God. But more than all those things, I reckon, we actually should be locking on to the last two verses in John chapter 20, the last couple of verses that say this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chose what to put in his gospel, in other words, in his gospel, because that would be enough for you to catch who Jesus is and to believe that he can therefore come good on his promises to you, to give you, through your believing in him, life. 
And life here in John 20 certainly means eternal life, as we call it, unending life going forwards from this point. There can be no question that it means at least that. All through John's Gospel, that's what Jesus has been promising. For example, you may know John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life." John 4 and verse 13, Jesus said to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so on and so on through John's Gospel. So, so by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sin, we may now have eternal life from God. We ought to be destined for judgment. We thought about that on Friday. But now, because, because the penalty that our sin should incur, death, cannot land on us and hold us in its power, well, well, we must then therefore have unending life. In Jesus Christ our Lord, we are made alive to God in that sense and to that end. But that eternal framework around all of this gospel has immediate implications for us now. Uh, it's not just uh, uh, eternal life that we've received, it, it's new life now. And so I want us to explore the second reading from Romans chapter 6 today and spend our time there, which connects those two perspectives of life as, as two parts of a beautiful whole. Life eternal means new life now. Uh, look at Romans 6 and verse 4, for example, if you have your Bibles there. Uh, Romans 6 verse 4, and see the connection between Resurrection Sunday and our new life now. Romans 6 verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's a big truth of Resurrection Sunday for right now, isn't it? That we might walk in newness of life now, just as Christ was raised from the dead. And yet the next verse, I think, he, he, he takes us to the, to the eternal frame around all of this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's talking about the bodily resurrection to come for all who are in Christ. Death, when it does come for us, cannot hold us. But then straight away, back to how that truth in the eternal frame also brings a newness of life now in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Our old self was crucified. Past tense, isn't it? Our old self was crucified. We have been set free from sin. It's got to be talking about now, doesn't it? 
Verse 8 goes back to the eternal perspective on life, though, we might think. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. But even if that is talking about the eternal reference, then it has to bring with it implications for our lives now. Because if we have died and will live, then this whole bit in the middle there, isn't there, that we need to uh, process. Something about this whole middle bit must be new now. And so in verses 9 and 11, we see that connection between the eternal and the now. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So too, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I.e., if you look at those verses, You must see yourself in this new way now, is what this text is saying. And you must see yourself in this new way now because Christ rose from the dead, is the reason given. There's something about our eternal life in Christ Jesus that changes our hearts right now. Christ being raised eternally, verse 9, equates to us being dead to sin and alive to God now. Verse 11. So if Good Friday paid for our sin, then Resurrection Sunday makes us alive. Good Friday paid for our sin, Resurrection Sunday makes us alive because sin is no longer the master over our hearts, verse 6 says. We are no longer its slave. We have been set free, verse 7 says, And because there is a new heart given to us by God when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. A new heart? Why? For a new life. A new life right now is what this is talking about. So we pursue that now, verse 13 continues. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present your members to God for for instruments for righteousness. This new life is, is in front of us and it's here for us to pursue because Christ rose from the dead, if you can see the parallel between these verses. Look at another one, verse 9 that we looked at before and verse 14. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 14, sin will no longer have dominion over you. Just as death no longer has dominion over Christ's incarnate life, so too our sin no longer has dominion over our life. It may be there. It is there, isn't it? Sin is there, but it it cannot hold us. It does not dictate our fate anymore. We are now alive to God like never we were. We really can walk then in this newness of life, as verse 4 puts it, while we wait for our eternal life. If we are in Christ, something now is new. This then is the something more that we ought to uh, receive from God Uh, than just our sins being forgiven on Good Friday, that he also intends to give his people a new heart when they do come to faith in Jesus Christ so that they will walk in this newness of life while they wait to be gathered into his glory forever.
Gospel is not just sins forgiven. It's a new heart that stops generating so much sin. One day, one day, our hearts will not generate any more sin at all. How could sin continue in the very presence of God? The gospel truth of Resurrection Sunday, though, is that that change has already started now for all who have come to Christ. Started, mind you, it started, but but it's not finished, of course. No, it's not finished, because if we had been completely transformed, already with hearts that no longer sinned, well, well, we wouldn't need teaching this truth in Scripture, would we? We wouldn't need to pursue this. It would be self-evident already. It would be realised in our lives already. But, but it's not yet, is it? We're not fully changed yet. We're in the process of that change. And so we do need this teaching in Scripture to encourage us in this walk. We're in a transitional stage then, aren't we, really, if you think about it, as we journey under Christ. New life has already started in our new heart. We are a new creation, even, the scriptures do say. But the old self, as dead as it may be in the long run of things, isn't quite out of our way just yet, is it? No. And so we're walking out a great tension aren't we, between uh, our sinful reality that's, that's still kind of passing out of our way and, and the new life that we have and will never fade, they overlap. And what that looks like in our lives is wrestle. Wrestle and struggle and, and stumble in the Christian life. These few chapters of Scripture, Romans 6 through 8, help us in that. They help us find our feet and our bearings in that transformational journey because uh, the Christian will stumble in sin. It's inevitable. By way of still being a fallen person in a fallen world at this point in time, it's inevitable. But they do not like it when they sin. They positively wrestle with it and in an ongoing way. So by walking us through all of that in these chapters, uh, this scripture helps us get a good read on whether we truly have repented of our sin and come to faith in Christ who who died for our sin. Uh, Because if we have received through uh, his death the forgiveness of our sin, then, then so too we will have received this new heart that no longer wants to walk in sin. There'll be signs of that fight then, won't there? If I examine my life, there'll be signs of that wrestle. And there'll be signs too of, of, of the good fruit that, that inevitably comes from the life of faith. So searching for those things in my life, searching for the signs of that wrestle with sin and searching for signs of this good fruit that should come naturally with the life of faith is a very important thing for me to do. It's a very important thing for every Christian to do because it isn't enough for the Christian to simply be forgiven of their sin. They need to follow God now into newness of life so that less and less, by God's grace, will they keep generating the same old sin. And one day, of course, as I say, no more at all. Because the outcome, of course, was settled 
on Good Friday. It was settled on Good Friday once and for all. We will stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But therefore, because that's our end, he will now start making us pure to be in his presence. And so these chapters then frame our pursuit of holiness, our Christian walk, by the prior fact that our salvation was first settled by Christ. That that was chapters 1 through 5, what we talked about on Good Friday. So, So when we do stumble in sin, as we will do in this wretched battle that we're now in, we can know that our salvation is not on the line. Our salvation is not affected by our wrestle with sin. No, Christ died for our sin. But that's what gives us freedom, do you see, to to pursue this walk of holiness from hearts that are already now made new. In theological terms, people talk about these two great Easter truths as, as our justification and our sanctification. We are saved by our faith in Christ's blood, which was poured out for our sin. That justifies us before God. We are declared righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. Never forget Good Friday. But Resurrection Sunday then shows us what we are saved into. A newness of life. On the back of that great salvation, we are now sanctified and increasingly sanctified for our God. Both gospel truths are vital and both go hand in hand. The Christian should not expect the one but not the other, nor the other but not the one. God assigns both truths to his people when he makes us his people. So if you find yourself this Resurrection Sunday still like a stranger to to all of this, if you haven't heard that your sins can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you didn't realise that God can start transforming your heart even now, then hear it in this gospel and know that this gospel is as free as free could ever be. All that God calls you to do is repent of your sin and come to Jesus for forgiveness and then follow him into newness of life. He will do these things in in you if you will but submit and let him. So you can do that today if you will. There's no paperwork or anything like that. If, If you hear these promises of God in Scripture and you want these things in your life, then hear his simple and beautiful invitation. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ and may his will be done in your life. If you knew about only one of these things, that you could be saved or or transformed, uh, but haven't realised the other of them, then, then lean in carefully this Resurrection Sunday and hear what the Gospel actually does say. Nobody is saved from their sin and then simply left in their sin here on out. Let Resurrection Sunday run that check on your heart that you have truly repented of your sin. If you have, you wouldn't want to still carry it on, and nor would your God want you to. 
Read the very next things that these scriptures go on to say, such as just in verse 17 there. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We have been saved unto God. Our transformation is therefore essential. It's the very purpose of our salvation. He says here in chapter 7 and verse 4, if you read that far, the purpose is that we may bear fruit now for God. But so too understand, on the other hand, that, that nobody can be transformed in the way we're talking about without first having been saved. Make sure Good Friday runs that check on your heart too because lots of people, lots of people in the church even, are all up and on board with with self-improving. That's very popular today. It's very popular today. But that is self-righteousness. And nobody will stand before God on that score. Now, the change we need in our lives comes from God and God works that change in the hearts of those whom he has first saved. So come before God today and ask him to grant you both of these things, that he would justify you by Jesus' death and that he would now lead you in a newness of life according to Jesus' resurrection. And then, if you, if you truly have repented of sin, such that you do now see signs of this fight with sin and, and the fruit of his work to renew your heart, then take hold of the gospel from this sweet angle today. Your sins are forgiven by the mercy of our Lord Jesus. You will give an account, as even Jesus said, but no condemnation for your sin can now fall on you because it fell on him. But so too your heart now is on a new track, a track towards a new kind of righteousness now. It's going to start welling up from within you, the scriptures say, because God is going to transform you. One day in his presence, no longer, can you even imagine that? No longer will you sin. But he chose to start that radical change in your heart from the moment he first called you to him through your faith in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins? Oh, yes, that's good. We need forgiveness of sins. Eternal life? Yes, how good. We need, that is our hope. But who wants to walk in a newness of life here and now? in the bit in between, knowing, of course, that one day we will be forever and ever and ever pure. Well, by God's grace, we can walk in new life now because by God's grace, we will be made pure. That's exactly the transformation he has saved us into. Sometimes it can feel like it's a far, far way from us, right? A journey too far, we would even say. But have no fear on this truth. This is what God will do in you. 
This is what God is doing in his people. Here's a sneak peek at chapter 8 as well. Chapter 8 and verse 29, hear this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Wow, let me say that again. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is the destiny that God assigned to us in Christ Jesus, that we will be conformed to his image. And by the mercy of our Lord and the power of his work in us, we will be. We will be. Happy Easter. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your scriptures and for what your gospel proclaims to us. Not just that you chose a way for our sin to be justified, but, but that you did that to save us into something, something new. Father, we know this must be your work in us towards your great plan for us and all because of your great love for us. And we know, therefore, that on the day of eternity, we will worship you in the splendour of your holiness. We will praise you and glorify you for this, that you chose to remake us new. That you don't just want to forgive us our sins, but wipe them away. That you want your word to wash us and sanctify us to you as we walk out our Christian lives. So teach us then, Father, to be to be humble under this truth, to be penitent under this truth, to be willing for you to carry out this great work of change in our lives. Let us truly want this renewal and to have it by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.